Uh, welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. I'm Rosie. I'm Hope, and Rosie just made me laugh really hard. <laughs> so I'm still recovering from oh. that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so what happened, we'll probably put it on the end as a blooper, but what happened is I got all queued up, and I pressed record, and then I almost said, welcome to Armchair Expert. <laughs> but I'm not Dax Shepard, so I don't know why I, I said that. It's probably because I've been not. listening to a lot of it. I do not want to be Dax Shepard. I'm going to be honest. Love you, yeah. Dax, but don't want to be you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it sounds complicated. Yeah, yeah. a lot going on. <laughs> oh but uh, yeah, so, so if anyone out there is wondering what that is, Armchair Expert is a really good uh, sort of interview show that does more, a uh, little bit deeper dive into people's personalities, I think. Usually yeah, it's a little he's... bit longer and they talk about a lot more stuff. He's not afraid to ask people like questions like, so how did you feel whenever you lost a bunch of weight or like you got sober? What was the worst part of your like addictions and stuff like that? And it's like, oh, yeah, I want to know that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's the kind of stuff that he talks about. So I think he's definitely gotten a a comfort with it. All right. Yeah. But so. So yeah, now for something completely different, let's get back on track. Uh, so today's today's episode is going to be about uh, body mass index, which uh, is also referred to as BMI, because I have been hearing a lot about it uh, in relation to the COVID vaccine, uh, which I, incidentally, I just got the Johnson & Johnson one-shot <gasps> vaccine this morning. Um, so I yeah. just got mine on Thursday. I got the, I got one... And then I have my other one on April 8th. But I'm going to text Griffin that they're doing it in Erie. Where'd you get it done? Oh, oh, sorry. No, no, I actually, uh, so I was part of a special like pop-up thing because Uh I work at, uh, because it was for teachers and childcare workers. And so I got to go because of that. Um, So it was a special little pop-up thing that happened at Wegmans. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think Chris actually has to drive to Meadville for his. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wegmans did a good to Ohio, two hours there and two hours back. I had to drive an hour and a half to Tabor City, North Carolina, which if you want to go out to a Walgreens in the sticks, (laughs) that's where they have them. (laughs) Well, for mine, we got to drive like 15 minutes. It was like we drove almost to my work and then took a different turn and we're there and it was great. And I got got the one shot and it didn't take very long and they were really organized and hopefully i feel okay i got feels fine now i got the moderna on thursday afternoon and then on friday i felt terrible probably shouldn't have gone to work but i did and i had a fever that broke while i was at work i like got the fever and got over it within the 11 hours that i was there and i was like wow should not have gone to work today but it got worse after i got there i didn't know like i woke up and i was like oh i don't feel yeah But it wasn't oh, enough that, that I was like, I can't go to work. But like, I didn't know that it was going to get that bad. And I made a lot of mistakes and it was really terrible. But in relation to this episode, I'm just going to say something before we start. You and I have been platonically in love for a very long time. And I feel like <laughs> I know us pretty well at this point. We've done a lot of podcasts. This is going to be the BMI and the body image episode. I know that right off the bat. That's where mm-hmm. this this podcast is going to end up. So it's talking about BMI, but it's also going to probably be about... Yeah all the nuances and layers that goes with it. Yeah. And we'll get to take a nice detour into uh, medical bias um, Mm. towards patients. So, so that's, uh, 
it's definitely stuff that we've talked a lot about before that we continue to talk about. And I'm sorry, I'm taking off my sweater and it took my <laughs> headphones off. So I don't know. And like. one disclaimer before we talk about anything that has to do with bodies. We are both two cis white heterosexual ladies mm-hmm. who are... Well, I'm not exactly hetero. I'm like kind of a little bit queer, but, but I'm married to a man, so I'm I'm hetero presenting, definitely. Right. And we are not physically disabled in any way. We are not in the LGBT community. We're not people of color. We are pretty white bread people. And so any body image issues we're talking about are what have to do with us. And we're not necessarily going to know the experience of people who are in all those intersections of marginalized communities. I just want to say that right off the bat. Yes. It's very important to address. Yes, I, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's very important to address where, uh, what your own privilege is and where you're getting your information from as well, just so that we can make sure that we're not just trying to confirm our own biases because mm-hmm. that's, that's an issue what? in, in, wrapped up in BMI. So yeah, you know, what's, to explore that in ourselves as well. What's difficult for us is might be insurmountable for other groups of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly when it comes to discrimination, because I think there's like a BMI affects a lot of people and like, like it negatively affects a lot of people um, just uh, through the, the mental process of knowing like the whole stigma associated with it. Uh, but there's definitely a lot more going on when people are fight are being discriminated against actively because they look a certain way. Um, I think both of us do look fairly average for, (laughs) for, for white women of our age, you know, I mean, you're 28, I'm 32. Um, and we're, I I think we look fairly average. We're about the average size, which I believe it puts, it puts me at a BMI that is technically obese. I don't know (laughs) if it does you. I have never. (laughs) Okay. Before we, what, what's your experience with BMI before we get into it? And then I'll tell you mine. So my, my experience with BMI is, so I think I was told about like two different ways to assess this. And I think it must've been in a health class. I, I want to say it was junior high, um, but it was of course the, I'm, I'm using health class in quotes because it's yeah, the public PE school. teacher <laughs> health class. Like, well, it, it's also like, okay. I'm not I'm not trying to give offense to PE teachers, but they do not in general seem set up to deal with some of the the more sticky situations, I would say, in health when it comes to talking to kids about stuff because you know, if if you were sort of geared to be a coach and like and that's kind of what a lot of PE teachers are, you know, like like coaches her coaching new girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Picture no, but that that's pretty good though. Like if you have a <laughs> skill set that's really good in in one area, you know, if you're a really good PE teacher, it doesn't mean you're going to be really good at teaching those health classes or or like it doesn't um always mean that you're good at interpreting the information. So you could be given a curriculum and just blindly teaching off of that and teaching stuff that's wrong without knowing that you're teaching stuff that's wrong. But we'll get into that. Just on um, that <laughs> Anyway, just on that subject, I feel like there should be a week in health class where you outsource a sex education person. So you're actually getting a sex education instead of a sex, you should be scared of this. 
Because that's what I thought. We should do, I feel like for these kinds of issues, there should be some kind of push for like, I don't know, like a fund to do that, like a fund that will pay a person locally to go yeah. and give an actual yeah. sex ed <laughs> thing uh, we, or, or like an actual sex ed um, class. To- have we done a sex education episode? No, not yet. We've got we so should. many we want to get. We through. should. We really should. Okay, we yeah. need to go over the list after this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but anyway, but so back to BMI. Um, my my experience with BMI, I th- I think was hearing about it in junior high and like just finding out like, oh yeah, and your BMI puts you in obese. And I was like, great. Any thoughts on that? And they're just like, mm-hmm. you lose exercise more, which you know, like it, it sounds simple. And to people who, to people for whom, uh, health is sort of easy. Um, I, I think those people have some sort of uh, weird mental block where they think that everything is exactly the same for everyone else, and they don't realize like it's it's not it's not as simple as that yeah. for everyone. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was kind of told about BMI, but it was like, oh, yep, you're fat, and that was basically it. Like there, there was like, no accompanying sort of guidance or anything. You're like how old, and your brain is still forming, and you're at like yeah. your most vulnerable developmental stage in your adolescence, and somebody's oh, being like, mm. "I just gotten boobs." That oh, I okay, boobs. I was thirteen. <laughs> I remember no because and and I developed like super quick over um, it was basically over the summer. I like if it's from seventh grade, like in seventh grade, I, I would say like, oh, no, I was wearing a cup bra- bras, but I probably maybe should have been like at a small B, but I, then I ended up coming back with like C pluses. Oh my God. <laughs> I've always been in between weird sizes, but like, but I came back with all of that. And I like, it's really hard to know how to like run when you suddenly have boobs uh yeah so so getting boobs over the summer and then like being 13 in general which is a tough thing i think for for any gender um like any type of person uh that was the time when i found out what body mass index was and of course i was on the negative side of it and there wasn't a lot of guidance given and i'm sure all of that guidance was weight-based like lose weight but not with any guidance as to like mm-hmm. how to do that safely. And also like, what is that actively doing to your health now? Um, so, so that was when I found out about a BMI. Like what, what was your experience with it? The thing is you're not, I, I, I don't know if you know this, you're not very tall either. So like yeah. if you have more boobs, all of a sudden that's going to, they're no matter yeah. what, they're going to look bigger <laughs> than if someone else was taller and had the same size boobs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I had a I had a heck of a time, and so oh, I had a heck of a time finding bras in general at the beginning, which which I think was because I was pretty much limited to the selection at Walmart because I lived in a small town, like the town I was in didn't have a clothing store, so we went to the next small town, uh, and uh, if we were lucky, we could go to the mall, but we weren't often that lucky. Usually, we ended up at Walmart because my mom knew that's where everything was cheapest, um, which she was very She's a very frugal lady, so uh, so that's where we ended up. But for better or for worse, I, I didn't end up with great bras um, because of that, because a lot of them aren't that great there. Um, and also, we were getting some of the cheaper stuff, too. So the cheaper stuff at Walmart is going to be like, mm, not a great bra. Um, I did have one situation that, looking back on it now, is funny. At the time, it was like the worst thing that ever happened to me. But I was on the, uh, I was on the football team in eighth grade, um, just because like to prove 
like girls can do this it's fine i wasn't good but i was there you I was already the already sick of sexism <laughs> at age 14 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was well okay and there was also a group of us girls who all like the the previous like end of the year had made a pact that we were all gonna do this and i was the only one who showed up <laughs> so there was that as well <laughs> but uh but anyway so so yeah I, I got there and and that it was it was surprisingly fine as an experience but um but anyway so i was on the football team I need to get back to bras and then we need to get back to BMI. Um, <laughs> but the, so, so I had these uh, front closing bras because they were like kind of a new thing, I guess. So I was like, Oh, it seems like a good, it's the newest thing. So it's the best thing. Right. And yeah. so, so I got that. Um, but what happens when you're running in a front closing bra is that it can like wiggle the closure out <gasps> unless you want to like tape around it or something. Uh huh. Yeah. So I ended up in a situation where my bra was undone. No, people couldn't tell, of course, because it was under. But this is. <laughs> it's funny now. Oh uh, but like, and this was during a practice. Luckily, it wasn't during a game. But I think I just like. I think I just walked around the side of the building and like put my hands up and like fixed it and came back. I, I'm absolutely sure that I wasn't close enough with any of the guys on the team to be able to like say stand in front of me while I fix my bra. But that's the second story <laughs> you've told me about your boobs having issues. Cause the other one was when you were aloft and your boob was just out and you had no idea. <laughs> and JB had to tell you be like, um, uh, <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yeah yeah the, oh, that's the the moral of that story is that the moral of that story is that 18th century men's shirts were not designed with women's chests in mind what? particularly if you don't have the best supportive undergarments um as we've been over i d didn't necessarily have so yeah because so, that was we, when i was a teenager <laughs> we have like <laughs> opposite and same bmi experiences because i was also so it's like a, it's like a curve that goes up like this and like this mm -hmm. area is the white zone. And then on top and on bottom are the, the red zones. And yeah. it has to do with like your weight and your height. And the thing yeah. is I've been solid muscle since I was little. Like I've always been that way. <laughs> I've always been really athletic. I just like can, I've always been very stupid above average strong for my height and i stopped growing You're like a little pit bull kind of <laughs> yeah except for i stopped growing when i was like 11 so i was this height like almost five six at the start of middle school <laughs> like i was oh, always oh that's a lot yeah and everybody i was taller than everyone and i think that's why i have such awkward tendencies because i just grew up being like very stuck you still out. think you're taller than everyone <laughs> well yes we'll get into that that's a whole thing that i was thinking about earlier because it's not a napoleon complex i don't know that i'm small napoleon one five six and that was average it's fine it's that there was a whole thing that was Napoleon's detractors. I, I listened to a whole thing about Napoleon the other day. And by the way, it's just like the whole Napoleon complex thing is a lie anyway. Right. But when I'm um, just like hear, BMI, so it actually correlates. It's like, it's like small dog complex where someone knows they're small, but they're trying to overcompensate. I didn't know. I thought I was fucking huge. I thought Griffin and I were the same height. He's 6'2". Like, I didn't know that I was really average. 
I thought I was really I tall. Huge. <laughs> I know. That's why. Yes. That's why I had to yell at our one shipmate because he was like, you're small. And I like got up in his face with my arms because that's how I make myself bigger. And I was like, I'm fucking huge. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> really average. Uh, like average teetering on maybe short. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Anyway. So <laughs> I've always been a little bit taller up until about probably like eighth grade when all the boys shot up and then it was like mm-hmm. wow there's a lot more boys up here with me now <laughs> and then um so yeah i there was this weekend when i was i guess like 14 when my mom took us on like 11 billion doctor's appointments over like two days like i remember going to like the dentist the um the dermatologist i went to the optometrist i went to like the pediatrician because my pediatrician in pittsburgh you can go until you were 21 so that's actually where i got my first birth control was at my pediatrician's office so it's fairly common actually that's whenever they showed me the chart and this was before so this is in eighth grade so i'm doing color guards i'm like jacked but i always thought that i was like kind of on the larger side like i didn't have a lot of fat but but since i was taller and muscular i was just Mm -hmm. like bigger like i had size like nine feet and my hands are pretty big it's like i was supposed to be taller but my body never caught up and (laughs) so and i'm really muscular because i'm also like swimming in the summertime and you know so she's like you're in the red but like the thing was like the curve was like this I was right here. I was like on the line between red and like the white area, but I was looking at it. And even with all the body image issues, I was probably already had percolating in there. I was like, yeah, I'm not in danger. Like I'm not, no, I'm not. And then the next year I did a million and one sports in high school. And I don't know how I passed mm-hmm. high school. Cause I did not do any homework. And so I would be either doing some kind of cardio, either running or swimming, and then I'd be going to do color guard, which doesn't sound that intense, but we were doing like competitive stuff, which is like throwing rifles where they spin like six times in the air and like you spin around and you catch them, like doing really intense stuff. So I was like jacked, like cut in high school. Mm-hmm. And then after the next pediatrician office uh, visit I had, I was in the white, but I was like teetering on the red still. She's like, you need to watch out. I'm like, I'm a hundred percent muscle. I have zero percent body fat. It's all in my butt if I have any, because I've always had an ass. And I didn't grow boobs until I went to college. Like I had over one sports bra, and I probably didn't even need it when I would go running. Like I had no boobs. It wasn't until I got to college and I like stopped moving around so much. And I came home from spring break, and my mom was like, we need to go bra shopping. You have boobs. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, am I fat? She's like, no, you don't have a 14-year-old body anymore that you held on to. Because yeah. you did so many sports. Like, So, yeah, BMI, I always knew it was bullshit. Because I've always been muscular. Mm-hmm. And muscle weighs more than fat. So then it put me in like the red area. When I knew there was no way that I was like overweight like I just wasn't yeah it it seems like such a basic thing that you know people can have different ratios of muscle and fat 
So like, I don't understand why, like, if we know that, and we know that they, that muscle and fat don't weigh the same, that we don't realize like, oh, this correlation doesn't work, but, but we'll, okay. So we, we'll get into that, but we need to get into history before that. Okay. Um, and, uh, but before, but even before we get into the history, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I want to talk for just a minute about Aubrey Gordon, um, because she is she really did most of the research that I ended up using uh, because I was reading one of her articles and I noticed there's a lot of the hyperlinks in it. So there's mm -hmm. citations of that can lead you to all the articles. Um, I think I didn't hit a paywall once. There were a lot of them and I went and pulled like quotes and sources and like information from those. Um, and it was so well researched. I just didn't really need anything else. So, <laughs> so shout out to Aubrey Gordon, um, who's an excellent author. Um, her, her book is on my list. It's called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat um, that came out oh, last year. Sorry. Um, she's also one of the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts called maintenance phase. It's all about diet fads. <gasps> it's really great. Uh, it's oh it's so good she was also on iway with jamila jamil which is where i heard more about bmi and i became interested in this mm -hmm. so it's really like it's it's really down to listening to aubrey gordon talk about this stuff that has made me interested in this topic so i just wanted to just off the top say she's fantastic she has a website called your fat friend Mm -hmm. um like spelled spelled out and then on in uh, on social media whatever social media she's on she's your fat friend it's yr fat friend spelled out like that uh so go follow her follow maintenance phase listen to them yeah it's wealth of information so shout out to her because i'm going to be quoting her uh article a lot and there might be some parts that i'm directly quoting that i don't have in quotes on my notes so <laughs> if right. i am directly quoting and i didn't say then i'm sorry but anyway so i'm going to start out by reading some of hers because i want to kind of put us in the headspace of someone who uh receives more discrimination on a daily basis about this and what kind of headspace that puts you in and so this is from her article on elemental.medium.com um she says i walk out of the doctor's office swiftly folding my after visit summary packet and tucking it under my arm if I don't, the strangers in the waiting room will see its bold lettering in an oversized pull-out box on the first page. BMI 47, super morbidly obese. My body mass index has become or has come to, to feel like a scarlet letter. It has become not only a referendum to my size, but also on my health and subsequently my character. The logic is ruthlessly consistent. Anyone but myself must have committed a series of unforgivable acts. I must have let myself go. I must have a pathological need to eat my desire or my greedy desire to stay still. This is a patholog sorry, this is a pathology deserving only of disdain, never empathy. Clearly I have been derelict in my duty to keep myself thin. Like most of us, I've come to accept, accept the BMI as a simple truth. It is, I have been taught, a direct measure of my size and health. But for something as, uh, as universally relied upon as the BMI, its history is much less solid and scientific than you might think. For many of us, especially people of color, medicine's over-reliance on the BMI might be actively harming our health. Um, so that's the introduction uh, to hers, but I wanted to put that out there. Harming our health. Speak more. Say more about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to put that out there because the, like, we're going to talk more about uh, later on about discrimination and about how that really just keeps our quote unquote 
uh, obesity epidemic going. Um, and it really feeds into it. And the attitude that we've developed is just, it's really not even, it's not actually solving the problem it's trying to solve or is saying it's trying to solve. And also it's just harming people, um, especially with their mental health. So, so yeah, so I want to start with that, but we'll, uh, we'll take a little bit of a departure and get into some history. Uh, so there was this guy uh, who uh, lived uh, about 200 years ago. Uh, his name was uh, Adolf, uh, and I want to pronounce this correctly. I did look it up, so I hope I'm doing it right. Uh, Quetele. Um, it's uh, it's spelled Q-U-E-T-E-L-E-T. So it's it's a little bit a little bit rough for my American tongue, but I I think that's what it is. Uh, Quetele. So uh, notably, he was. Uh, so he was the inventor of BMI. Um, he was also notably not a physician. He did not study medicine. <laughs> uh, what did I he study? Uh, well, love when this happens. <laughs> when it's an expert, so somebody invented something completely outside of their field. <laughs> and also it's like, okay. So she, she says nearly 200 years ago in her article. So that's like, we're talking the 1800s here. And like, I, I don't have specific sources I'm going to pull for this, but back in the 1800s, like in some of the time, they were telling people things like, do some cocaine about it, put some leeches on, you know, like just, <laughs> you know, do all these crazy things that are actually hurting your body because we believe in things like humors, which is all I, medicine. Anyway, so we're still using science. Medicine before or, oh, a certain point should just be in quotes. It's like, medicine this is science (laughs) i think it's like there's some things that actually like totally work but they're usually like the old like folksy medicine and then the stuff that like was you know supposedly like the hard and fast fact that doctors were were using to diagnose people hundreds of years ago was like because they didn't have the advances we have uh, it was very flawed. Yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, he was not actually doing the study um, for it to be applied the way that we do, which we'll talk more about All right. as we go. Anyway, so he, he studied astronomy, mathematics, statistics, and sociology. Um, he is best known for his sociological work, which was aimed at identifying characteristics of Léon Moyen, which, I again, it's French. I hope I pronounced it right. Um, the average man whom to uh, Quetelé represented a social ideal. Uh, So he was Belgian uh, and he was publishing works in the early 19th century. So like I said, early 1800s, because remember 19th century, 1800s. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I just always want to clarify that for anyone who gets confused about it because I know it's easy. Um, So uh, this is what Aubrey Gordon's calling a boom time for racist science because there was just a a lot of racism out there masquerading as science. Um, in addition to what became the BMI, uh, Quetelet is credited with co-founding the School of Positivist Criminology. Um, that's not a physical school. It's like a school of thought. Um, and so this theory uh, asserts that criminal behavior is caused by individual abnormality or pathology. And it supports the idea that criminals are born with the capacity and predisposition for crime already. Um, it does allow for the possibility that education can dull the effects of a criminal personality, but like there again, criminal personality is right there. We, um, and it asserts that all true criminals, this, this is like the part that's going to make you real hot, bad. Um, it asserts that all true criminals 
have a number of causal connected characteristics, uh, physical characteristics that can be shown anthropologically. Like people who have these physical characteristics are more likely to be criminals and psychic characteristics that can be shown psychophysiologically, which mark them as an individual type of mankind. So effectively, criminals are a separate species. Yeah. Um, there's other people who did a lot of work in this positivi- positivist uh, criminology um, who use this to sort of extrapolate and say that people of color are a separate species. Yes. Um, That's what I was going to yeah. talk about. So there's yeah. talked about this <laughs> in, in our dynamics of racism and oppression class that I'm in. There was just a whole bunch of literature back in the day trying to prove that people who weren't white were all a different race. Like, a, no, not a different, like, well, they were a different race, but like a different species of human. And they like put out all these scientific articles, like proving it. And that's where a lot of our biases and our racist, like ideations of people come from today is because we were given that as medical literature that there's people because they're not white that are lesser than also Luna is going crazy on a toy right now. And I apologize. That is okay. Yep. Kitty noise in the background. Just how it is. So, yeah. Um, so, so just, just to put it in context, this guy, not only was this index developed over, or sorry, uh, uh, about 200 years ago, it was also developed by someone who believed criminals were a separate species and that they had physical characteristics that would like, you know, show that they were criminals. And it, like, it's just, you think about it and it just doesn't make sense. It really is. Um, it's them trying to confirm their own biases and say, well, we're not criminals. Um, and those people look different than us. And that and like some of them are so we're going to you know create all of these uh, correlations and say that they're causations when in reality there's a lot of socioeconomic reasons why people of color are going to be quote unquote criminals which i'm going to put it in quotes because people of color they're are treated badly in white spaces today but hundreds of years ago it was a lot more so if you're studying criminals of the day they are going to be primarily the people who are not uh the leaders of society <laughs> i took my meds but i feel like I'm <sighs> <bad> today. <laughs> that's oh crap i forgot to take mine yesterday actually no i need to i thank you for reminding me uh, i need to go grab mine and take it go take your meds <laughs> yeah yeah this is everyone just uh just take your meds and yeah and we're back all right and we're back all right everybody remember to take your meds uh so yeah <laughs> So yeah, okay. So Quetelé and uh, and later on Lombroso, uh, racist jagoffs who just uh, genuinely believe really really horrible things. Um, uh, Quetelé was also credited with founding the field of anthropometry, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly again, um, which is the systematic collection and correlation of measurements of the human body. Hmm. Um, so. It originated in the 19th century, and uh, I believe, okay, so it says uh, social scientists applied these uh, attempting to support theories associating biological race with levels of cultural and intellectual development. So let's just remember that this is generally, the countries doing this are white countries 
who are trying to associate biological race with levels of cultural and intellectual development. Now, what's wrong with that is if you have a very non-diverse group assessing all of this, they're going to assess themselves at the top. So just, just keep that in mind. Uh, so then we have um, in the umbrella of anthropometry, anthropometry, I'm still not sure how that's pronounced. Um, uh, in that um, under that umbrella is uh, phrenology, which is where they uh, like poke at your skull and they take different measurements and stuff. And based on how your skull feels, like they think they can tell basic and even more complex things about your brain and your intelligence and all of that. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm like wringing my hands kind of as, and being super sarcastic when I'm <laughs> looking at hope here because it's just, okay. It's, it's more just insane. witchcraft than actual witches yes, we're doing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's witchcraft. Um, so, so anyway, so these are the kind of things that, that Quetelet really championed and they're bad things. So we should all know that. Uh, he, uh, he believed, uh, so getting back to what later became the BMI, um, it was originally called uh, Quetelet's Index, but uh, he believed that the mathematical mean of a population was its ideal. Um, and his desire to prove it was, uh, it ended up being the invention of the BMI. Um, so let's talk about the mathematical mean of a population. Basically all of, all that means is the average of all of the statistics you have of the group of people you're studying is going to become the quote unquote ideal for any person like that. That's what they're extrapolating from this, um, which is, I mean, it's flawed to begin with because like the average doesn't necessarily correlate to being the ideal because just because a certain number of people look a certain way like that that doesn't mean anything about their health right. you know the the average person could have a pretty low lifespan but if that's the average then that's who he's going to say is the healthiest and therefore the ideal and all of that i'm also assuming his population sample is gonna be white guys that's what i was about to say Which is uh, so yeah flawed. <laughs> So his uh, <laughs> this formula was based solely on French and Scottish participants. They were also all men. Also, they were all conscripts in the military, which means oh <laughs> <laughs> which means they were people who who were not only actively serving in the military, but they also may have been like poorer people who were forced to serve in the military in some way. Um, because because a conscript means that it's some sort of situation where you're made to do it, like a draft system or something like that. Would have. Um, over here. Yeah, yeah, you're getting voluntold. Uh, but <laughs> if you're getting voluntold, you might be in a, a vulnerable population anyway. So you might end up being on the thinner side because you might be starving. I you want know? everybody. Like you might be someone who got into the army to have some meals. I want quickly. everybody to think about this next time they're at the doctor and they're like, you're BMI. <laughs> and you're like, my bullshit meter. Okay. <laughs> bullshit know. meter. Index. Yeah, right? That's what that stands for. <laughs> Bullshit meter index, yeah. So anyway, okay, so so there's, yeah. So, so when you're doing a scientific study, and I've talked a little bit before about scientific studies and about how you can 
make a lot of studies say things that are really diametrically opposed to what they actually found, um, depending on what you want the study to find and who is funding it and what they want and all of these kinds of things and your own implicit bias. So if you have a bias that you don't really know is there, um, that can still affect your findings. Um, so there are ways to analyze lots of studies that find things that aren't true. Um, <laughs> and you best believe that there are companies out there who have an interest in the status quo being the status quo in the health industry. Okay. So it's not all about just hard science being hard science. Okay. If a science like that is backed by a company that's making fat free something or other, well, that says something about their research. Um, so Yes. So anyway, so so when looking into uh, the the sources that Aubrey Gordon used for this article, and then looking into their sources after that, it was a whole spider web. It was great. Um, looking into that, <laughs> um, I was able to look at the methodology in not every single thing, of course, because it's a lot of information, but in a lot of them. And the reason why her what why I say her research is so strong is because having gone to fact check the people she was pulling information from. I'm not finding inconsistencies there. Um, so that's really awesome. And Quetelet's science, or, you know, put quotes around it, science, science, was really bad. Like, because clearly he is not using any kind of scientific method here. He has participants who are of one single race, one single gender, and are probably more likely to be of a uniform kind of physical fitness because they are all eating the same diet more or less probably they are all mm -hmm. doing the same kind of physical activity more or less which would be a lot of physical activity compared to you know someone who's sitting behind a desk or something like that so already this is skewed in such a way that like uh, that basically what it is so like take your office and uh, and say that like the the most uh, the most health conscious person in your office and ten of their best friends are the sample to which all of your coworkers are going to be judged. Like that doesn't seem fair, you know. Like you can't you can't assess Donna Meagle by Chris Traeger standards because it just doesn't work. You know, like it's different bodies, different races, different genders, different everything. Um, so if you're taking just men of specific races and, you know, even from just specific countries and who are doing a specific job, it's just not a good sample for anything. Um, this is science that should be thrown out because it's not following any kind of methodology we would use today. It's like so astrology. It's not real. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. It's well, I mean, like anything. It's it's real in terms of the statistics that he got are true statistics, but they don't mm -hmm. say what he, what he or anyone else's argue. Yeah, yeah. Like he, the, the argument that they actually say anything about any individual's health right. just doesn't hold up at all. So, so okay, so. <laughs> 
I have a note that just says, talk about bad science. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, I'm judgy in a really like a nerdy way. <laughs> um, okay. So, so effectively what this means, you should see my notes for class when I'm like watching a movie or something. I'm like, wow, white people decided to do this. Who's fucking surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. So effectively this Yes, Quetelet's index, which later became BMI, it was designed specifically for white Western European men who are conscripts in the army. You know, like, not all the population. So, like, just that in and of itself should be enough to throw it out. So, uh, so it was Quetelet that formulated the BMI. Um, he... He didn't label the peak of the bell curve as just normal, which would have made sense because, like, that would have actually been accurate to say, okay, well, this is normal for this population. But then, of course, it's only applied to those men who are conscripts in the army, et cetera. Anyway, so so he said instead of it being normal, it's the ideal. So now we all have a thing where, like, okay, this is the way a human body should be in terms of, you know, height and weight. So this is what all human bodies should be regardless of anything. And then the people who are heavier than this portion are overweight and the people who are lighter are then underweight. So what that means is someone like you in junior high is being held to the same standards for like body composition, height, weight, etc., as a man in the French or Scottish army in the 1800s. No, thank you. Because that makes any sense at all. Also, (laughs) women are like, this is getting into a whole nother thing because we have a certain level of fat on our body so that we can make babies. That's why whenever you lose like too much weight, like models, they stop getting their periods because their body is no longer to sustain creating a baby. And that's why whenever... People talk about like your lower abs and like trying to get rid of that lower belly. That pouch, that little like divot that's mm-hmm. co- like coming out, that's where the baby goes. That's like your uterus. That's not you cannot work that out. Like you can't make that go away. That's there. Just ex- just accept it. Accept it. That you cannot ab your way out of having <laughs> a baby pouch. Like it's just because you're gonna like your body's made to make a baby there. Not that you have to, but that's why that's there. Like women. I hate men. <laughs> I don't. Well, I do sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. So, okay. All right. All right. All right. So, so now we've 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 gone through the the sort of historical creation of uh, what was uh, initially called. Yeah, what was initially called Quetelet's index and uh, has now become the body mass index or BMI. Um, so, so what he was envisioning was he he was trying to find the ideal or average, but it wasn't in order to assess everyone's individual health. That wasn't like he was interested in statistics, but he wasn't particularly interested in applying it medically. Um, so that is kind of important there because he. It, it means that it wasn't just one guy who did a lie and then people built stuff up on top of that. It means it was like he did this and other people misapplied it and then oh. more people misapplied. And so it just kinds of like, it's one of those things where like bad science begets bad science, racism begets racism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like if, if you get like, if you have a doctor coming along who wants to, 
get confirmation bias for, you know, his feelings of anger towards fat people, well, he's going to look for something that confirms that. And unfortunately, this um, Quetelet's index, that does that. Shit rolls yeah. downhill. Ugh. Yeah. So anyway, all right. <laughs> and, and it's all because he arbitrarily was like, well, this is the way most people are. So everyone else is wrong. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So weight was not actually considered a primary indicator of health until pretty, uh, until about the earliest 20th century. About the earliest? <laughs> the earliest 20th century. Um, I'm going to do this again because I just said the word earliest. <laughs> <laughs> weight was not considered a primary indicator of health until the early 20th century when U.S. life insurance companies begin to compile tables of height and weight for the purposes of determining what to charge prospective policyholders. So the reason that I'm like tripping over words a little bit more and I'm also reading more is because I'm trying to make sure I'm getting nomenclature right because there's science-y stuff, there's insurance-y stuff in here. And I, I want to make sure that I'm saying the right words. And so I'm like pulling quotes from articles and that stuff. Yeah. And I do have notes written out, which, which sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So yeah. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, one of the uh, main proponents of BMI as a way to assess health was Ansel Keys, who basically just seemed like a jackass. Anyway, uh, so he's a jackass. Uh, <laughs> that uh, So from this, uh, this article on dietdoctor.com, um, which is by an actual doctor, um, it's not like diet doctor, it's not it's not that kind of website. It sounds like it is, but it's not. There's uh, so Dr. Andreas Einfeldt, who's a Swedish physician, wrote this article, um, and I'm going to pull some quotes. Um, so it says, for the while, in the middle of the last century, there was a scientific struggle. Was fat or sugar to blame for cardiovac cardiovascular disease? Ansel Keys was the champion of the first theory, Professor John Yudkin of the other. Um, so basically, they're like, fat or sugar, who will win? And fat ended up winning. Um, although, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so, um, so he says Keys won, but not all of the data he used to make his arguments was a fair representation of reality. Surprise! Bye. The work that Ansel Keys did, Biggie, uh, Biggie, oh I can't talk today. <laughs> Piggy, piggybacking on the work. Oh God, piggybacking on the work of an earlier person who was you know anti-fat and racist and all of that you know how could you get bad science from that what? um so 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 there are the, these two graphs in this article um i will post them on the website i need to do a lot of updating of things um because i haven't updated in a bit but i'll put them up there but there's two graphs basically um and they show the same information but you can interpret it in two different ways uh basically what this article is arguing is uh, so it says the left graph above was famously used 60 years ago by Keyes to support his idea that fat intake was responsible for heart disease. But as the right graph shows, the same data could just as easily have implicated sugar. So it's all in how you read it. It's not necessarily that it just says, oh, here's the answer. And it's very clear. It's, it's about how you interpret data. Um, I think a lot of people think that like, it's just you do a study and here's the data and then that's it. But there's a whole section of scientific thought that involves just interpreting data. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so yeah. Um, uh, uh, all right, sorry. So 
he also says um, countries eating higher amounts of fat were simultaneously eating more sugar. It was just a question of what you were looking for. Since that time, we've spent about half a century fearing natural fat and instead eating more carbs. But what do carbs do in your body? Do you know? What do carbs do? Uh, I think they metabolize different. And they, so a calorie is technically a unit of energy. And it's um, how you use that energy that it gets transferred either into like helping you do cardio or gets turned into fat, right? Yes. Um, carbs turn into sugar basically in your body. Oh, yeah. This is what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so it's like, that's, that's why, for example, you'd carb load before a race. Like even someone who doesn't eat a lot of carbs might do that because it will give you kind of like that boost in energy that's similar to a sugar rush. Um, and it does a similar thing in your body. So, um, so, so that, that is really, I think important here because we've just started eating more sugar and the problems haven't gone down. They've gotten worse. So were we right to say that fat was the issue? Because now a lot of the things that had fat before, it's really hard to find a version of it that actually does have fat. For example, yogurt, you know, like most of the yogurt people are eating these days is low fat. Like there's a lot of things that have just gotten lower fat and yet our people haven't. Yeah. So, so it's I, interesting to think about that and how sugar could be affecting it. Yeah. Whenever I found out that I had anxiety in 2016, my doctor, I was like, well, what can I do? Like, I don't want to go on meds. I've since changed my mind about that. But she was like, what you can do is you need to stop drinking coffee and you need to give up sugar, which were like, that was my diet right there. Like I would drink strong ass coffee and then cut it with a lot of creamer. And I was eating sugar like it was no big deal. But then I'd be trying to go to bed and my heart would be going like I was trying to run a marathon. Like I couldn't sleep because my heart was going yeah. fast. So I cut out all sugar. No, I didn't cut out all sugar. I gave myself honey with my tea and I gave myself dark chocolate. Those were the only two sweets that I, I was allowed to have. And there was a, and I get, I cut out coffee, cold turkey, both of those on the same day. But when I was reading mm -hmm. about that, like how to do this correctly, they were like, you need to buy full fat yogurt because even though yep. like, there's more chemicals in the low fat stuff to make it low fat, it's more natural for your body to process the, the full fat stuff because it's made out of everything yeah. that's natural about it. It's not bad for you. And and I, so I don't have any information just offhand to substantiate this, but I... I'm pretty confident in it and I'll find some and I'll post it with the, this blog posting. But, um, but I believe you also with the full fat yogurt, you can absorb the nutrients better. Um, so that calcium um, and the vitamins that you get from all of that, you're just going to get more of it. If you're having, I mean, honestly, it's just whole foods. Like that's what it is. Like if you eat or sorry, if you eat, if you take a vitamin um, of of, you know, whatever the vitamin is, it's not going to be the same as having that in a food, the absorption is just different. And from what I understand, and granted, I am not a doctor or any kind of medical expert. But uh, my understanding is that if you eat foods, the way that they have grown and are intended to be, it's just going to be better for your body, and you'll get more out of it. Um, I do also want to say here that while we're talking about um, hope having cut out sugar, like I do want to 
put that out there. That was a mental health thing. It was not a diet thing because we're not here to push any kind of diet. No, it was, um, it was because so we don't want to trigger anyone that way. And, and I don't think you did it in a triggering way. I no. just want to put that back out there. Uh, yeah, so. it was so that uh, my body would calm the hell down. <laughs> Not so that I could lose weight. Because that also, <laughs> I was also very cut. I didn't have any fat to lose. Like, I was very in shape. But, like, my brain was not in shape. So, that's why I did that. Nice. All right. So, let's uh, let's rejoin Ansel Keys here. The asshole. Um, so, he <laughs> in the 1970s, he did a study with 7,500 men from five different countries um, to find the most effective way to measure body fat, huh. which, like, I mean, it's just about measuring body fat. It wasn't about what that means for your body. Like, I, I think that we always, we take these statistics and stuff and we assume that, like, more fat equals bad, but we still haven't actually proven that. Like, that's not a thing that's been proven. There's been correlation, but not causation necessarily. Um, and I'll, we can talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, so they they pulled from the United States, Finland, Italy. Um, they also pulled from Japan and South Africa. Um, but the study notes about South Africa um, that the sample or the findings couldn't be suggested to be a representative sample of Bantu men in Cape Province, let alone Bantu men in general. Uh, most of the findings the authors apply to, note apply to all but the Bantu men. Um, so they're talking about like we we measured a good sample size of the white guys, but not the black guys. Like like that's that's what that's saying there. So effectively, it's not a, really applicable to most of the people in South Africa because if you're not measuring. You know, you're measuring bodies, but you're not measuring black men's bodies in a place where there's more black people on average than white people. Right. You're going to have issues there. So so it's important to say, like, yeah, even though there was more diversity in there, there really wasn't. It just looks like there was. So um, so 7,500 would seem like a, be a much better sample size, you know, much better methodology. But he still it has a lot of flaws there. Uh, so so undertones in the, the application of it. Or overtones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so back to uh, Aubrey Gordon's article here. Um, so she's quoting here. She, she, she's quoting their study. It says, uh, again, the body mass index proves to be, if not fully satisfactory, at least as good. <laughs> at least as good. Such, such a nice, uh, <laughs> you know, confirming thing to say. At least as good as any other relative weight index or or as an indicator of relative obesity. They're like, yeah, it's just as good as anything else we have. Right. Basically. So it says still, if density is truly and closely proportional to body fatness, not more than the half total variance of body fatness is accounted for by the regression of fatness and the body mass index. Basically they're just like it. Like, yeah, sure. It works, but maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe don't put <laughs> so, uh, so much stock into it. <laughs> Yeah. So what Gordon says about this is that is the BMI, that is the BMI was the strongest of three weak and imperfect measures alongside water displacement and the use of skin calipers, which I, okay. Yeah, whatever. Look up skin calipers. No, I was, why that's ridiculous. I, ultimately the, um, that's loud. Um, ultimately the BMI's claim to fame is accurately diagnosing quote unquote obesity about 50% of the time. So that's a big thing. That's huge part of our medical system. It's right about half the time. If a like, it, if you were gonna get surgery and and you were like, 
so how often does this work? And they were like, half the time. It would give you a little bit of pause. And yet BMI, which has the same level of success rate and would you take very little backing is just fast. That said, this is 50% accurate. No, I want to be way more sure. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I got a plane coming. Is it gone? All right. Um, so uh, also, as recently as 2011, um, the Journal of Obstetric... The Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology found that the BMI detected less than 50% of quote-unquote obesity cases in Black, White, and Hispanic women. Um, So that was even less uh, in terms of women. So it's really not very applicable to a lot of people, as we know. Uh, So... So this, like all of this, like the usage goes against the inventor's wishes because it's not what he intended it for. It's also just not very good science. Um, so um, here's an, uh, a little piece that I wanted to pull from an article from the International Journal of Epidemiology. Um, it says populations differ from one another uh, and populations change. Average values for weight and height are given uh, um, for given age and sex for a given population do not necessarily apply to other populations or even to the same population at another time. Further, there is no prospect of obtaining for any population true averages uh, of value for height, weight, given age, etc. Uh, or sorry, bleh, I'm going to just say that again. Uh, no present prospect of ob- obtaining for any population true average values of weight for height, uh, for given height, age, and sex. Um, so basically, it doesn't work. Um, by 1985, the National uh, Institutes of Health had revised their definition of obesity uh, to be tied to individual patients' BMIs, uh, which basically meant that now this is gospel and we're all going to refer to this no matter what. And it basically became the time where we weren't going to be able to get away from the BMI. <laughs> um so uh, from, uh, from bmcmedicine.biomedcentral.com, um, this was one of the references that Aubrey Gordon put um, in her article. Um, it says, in a classic study performed in the late 1950s, 10 and 11-year-olds were shown six images of children and asked to rank them in the order of which child they liked best. The six images included a quote-unquote normal child and quote-unquote, obese child, a child in a wheelchair, uh, one with crutches, one with a leg brace, one with a missing hand, and another with a facial disfigurement. Across six samples of varying social, economic, and racial ethnic backgrounds from across the United States, the child with obesity was ranked last. Oh, my Um, God. And the only fucking reason for that is because people are socially conditioned, okay? At that point, and I want to highlight that this study was 10 and 11-year-olds, okay? So they are not reading scientific papers. They probably aren't listening a whole lot to doctors about things. (laughs) They are not, like, doing scientific experiments. They are not reading academic findings, okay? All that they are basing their assumptions of other people on is how they look and other people's reactions to how they look. So basically learning from your parents, the adults in society, that if people are fat, it's okay to make fun of them. And it's okay to think that they're lazy or that they're less in some way than other people are. So that is a learned behavior. It is not intrinsic. My grandma, my mom's mom was tiny, 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 tiny lady 
who could eat me under the table. And you've seen how much I love food and how much I can put away. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. She and I would yeah. go like bite for bite, like could eat whatever. But she saw obese people as people who had like a moral failing. Like they did something. Uh. And that's why. And so there's like this like line of body image issues and like, and, ooh, good. Okay, sorry. No, that just reminded me. Um, reminded me of a big issue that I had when I was rewatching Gilmore Girls recently. It's particularly it. What they eat so much and then say stuff about other people's weight. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And it, and it's particularly in like the the newer one, even which seems like they would have gotten like more sympathetic or empathetic towards, you know, people in general, um, especially because like the cast does include people who are in quotes plus sized, you know, like, so why? It's uh, so frustrating. Yeah, there, there's a lot of fat shaming on that show. There actually is a lot on Parks and Rec as well, which really is is upsetting to me. Um, there, there are a lot of shows that could do a lot better. Gilmore Girls did real bad in that area. And they also show these two main characters who are these thin women who can eat, neat, 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 neat. Um, and I also read some interviews with them at the time where they're like, oh, yeah, we're constantly asked if we eat like that. No, of course we don't. No one can eat like that and look like this. Yeah. Like, yes, fucking literally. Like, like, and I'm sure I'm okay. And I, I am paraphrasing there. Like, it's not like they were saying no one can eat like that and look like that. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm just saying, like, I read somewhere like Alexis Liddell basically being like, no, I don't eat like that. That's ridiculous. You know, like I'm, I'm getting so, like, extrapolate that. I'm getting a weird flashback from being in like color guard competitions and our instructors like saying we were better because we weren't a team full of chubby girls. And now I'm thinking about that and I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's really bad to say to a bunch of high schoolers who are in like very vulnerable emotional states. Like, Ugh. Yeah. And that and that's a thing where like, okay, so I'm sure that the the person saying it thought it was fine because the person saying it was like, oh, well, I'm saying that they're not. But then that also it 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 others anyone who does fall in that category of, you know, whatever chubby means, right? You know, like it it others that and it also means that if you become that, you're going to be a worse team. Right. So yeah, there, there's a lot to that. And I think that people don't realize when they're saying something they think is positive about the way people look that it can also come across as basically like, if you gain weight, or like, if you just lost weight, if you gain weight again, you gain it back, then you're going to be less than right. Like that's, that's a whole, and there's thing. a whole other <laughs> segment about people who have certain diseases or have to be on certain medications that are going to make you gain weight. And that's not your fault. You didn't. That's just what happens. That doesn't mean you're less of a person. Ugh. I was watching this one um, BuzzFeed, uh, like old BuzzFeed influencer who has her own <laughs> YouTube channel now where she like has her friends do like she creates a gym plan for them and like a meal plan and stuff. And she had a plus size girl on who was like, I'm here to represent the plus size community and the LGBT community <laughs> and like the black community and all this stuff. She's like, I don't want to know numbers. I just want to feel healthier and like all this stuff. But she was talking about it. She was like, plus size people aren't valued. Like they're not seen in society. They're just not, they don't have any value. And I want to help to change that. So shout out to Jasmine Robbins for doing that. But yeah. nice. 
uh, okay i'll share something here that's it's probably it'll be It'll be funny to a section of listeners. It might sound offensive to some listeners, but keep in mind that that this joke that I'm about to tell, or I'm about to like retell, is from a it's from a fat, a fat person about her perspective. So what it was one of the first I think stand up bits that I saw her do. Uh, or I'm I'm sorry. I'm I think I'm misgendering there. So I'm I'm going to start saying they because I can't remember if it's. A situation where multiple ones are okay. So, um, sorry. So, in one of the first videos I saw of them doing stand up, um, they were saying, "Yeah, like," and I'm paraphrasing again here. It's not uh, <laughs> the specific words, but talking about going into a gym and getting matched up with an instructor, and then the instructor asking about the goals, and then them saying, "Well, I just want to sweat as much as I cry." <laughs> And then this instructor looks over like, oh, I don't know what to do. That's funny. That's really funny. No, exactly. And, and, and with the experience, so the experience of, okay, and I'm using fat as a descriptor here. I am not using it as any kind of derogatory thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm using it as a descriptor because the person who I am talking about also is using it as a descriptor. Um, it's a part of, part of a like fat positivity. So I want to make sure that uh, I'm... I want to make sure that I'm putting that in there. It's not an insult. It is just a thing that I'm saying. So um, as a fat person walking into a gym and being able to make that joke about how, because there's so much in it, there's so much about like stigma in there because of course that person is going to look at the fat person and think like, Oh, you probably hate your body. You probably, you know, don't have a good time in life, et cetera. So it's taking all of that and kind of flipping it on its head and throwing it back in someone's face and being like, Yep, I totally understand the way that people might be looking at me, but I'm here to work out anyway. Yeah, she sounds really <laughs> motivated. <laughs> I want to sweat as much as I cry. <laughs> you try to work out real hard. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I just thought that was a great joke. And it's kind of a nice, like, light thing to put in here because we're going to talk about stigma and healthcare now. Mm. Um, <laughs> I know it's great. Uh, it's not great, actually. So, um, So people who are what we would call uh or not we but like like what in general is considered plus size or obese or whatever like the little floofy word you want to use for it um those people are a lot more likely than other portions of uh any community to get worse medical care from doctors um they are more likely to have poor mental health they're more likely to have a lot of discrimination against them solely based on the way they look um, from people who know nothing about their lifestyle, that kind of thing. Um, discrimination does have very bad measurable effects on your health. Uh, this podcast is kind of getting towards the point where it's going to be on the long side. So I don't think I'll go into all of those stats, um, but I, they will be in the information I post online. Um, so there is a lot of discrimination that comes to people who are in certain weight classes. Um, that discrimination usually results in poor mental health. And when you have poor mental health, it's really, it becomes a struggle sometimes to meet your own basic needs. And I say that from a position of information <laughs> because I have at times had poor mental health and I've had to deal with that. Um, Hope has as well. Like we all have to, when you, to figure our stuff out. If you, Yeah, when you have to convince yourself to go make yourself a bowl of cereal, you're not going to convince yourself to go to the doctor or talk to your therapist yeah, or just tell anybody yeah, or you're like, what's going on. 
you're laying in bed thinking about the pros and cons of showering and whether it's really worth it and will it even matter because nothing matters anyway. You know, like that kind of stuff going on in your head, it's going to make it really hard to get to the doctor. So all of these tactics that are taken to shame people who are what we consider as a society to be overweight, um, all of that is leading to poor mental health. And it has been shown statistically in like responsible, like good science studies that have been done. It has been shown that that has measurable negative effects on mental health. Yeah. And that it also will lead to weight gain. So like the very thing that you think you're bullying people (laughs) um, out of doing is what you're actually causing them to do. And Um, so, so think, think about that. (laughs) It's, I know this is a plight for people who are bigger, but my mom is five, three runs, goes to cycling class, lifts, has little chicken legs, like is one of the strongest people I know. And every time they like eats, a million and one grams of fiber. And every time she goes to the doctor, they're like, you can stand to lose five or 10 pounds. She's like, I'm 62. What more can I be doing? Like, this is it. Like, this is it. (sighs) Yeah. 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 My mom, I mean, I mean, it's at this point just, and I might've mentioned this in the podcast before, but um, at this point uh, my mom has dementia and she's, she's moving into memory care soon actually. Um, But so she's, she's not aware of any weight stigma anymore, which is great um, (laughs) because um, it's, Hey man, with, with a parent with dementia, you want to look on every bright side you possibly can. Um, I, one of the things I'm glad about is there's no reason for her to worry about what she's eating anymore because she's just, She's not in a place to be concerned about that, yeah. but she's been concerned about it. Like I'm sure all of her adult life because she, I mean, I, I am very like similar to her in like a lot of things and body type is one of them. Like w- neither of us tend to be, um, neither of us tend to have a weight that is super stigmatized, but we definitely like are in the larger of the regular or quote unquote regular sizes or like the smaller of the plus sizes, you know? So like we're, we're always kind of right there. And my mom was always trying to lose weight. She was always eating low fat stuff. Um, and this wasn't someone who was being shamed by society a lot of the time. Like that was coming from doctors. So do you want to make this a two part? Anyway, because I have a lot more to say on this. Let's. Let's save the wedding dress shopping for another one. I'll just get through the rest of the research stuff and then we can do an episode. We can do a second part, definitely. But that part can be more like talking about it. Anecdotal Um, stuff. And just, you know, yeah, more of the anecdotal stuff. Okay. Okay. So, so yes. All right. So I probably will cut that out, but yeah. (laughs) So Hope and I just decided we're going to make this into a two part because it's, uh, it's already going to be running into like at a point where we should wrap up and I'm. (laughs) halfway through my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm about halfway through my notes. And there was a whole page that I was just like, yeah, I probably don't need that. So uh, yeah, there, there's a lot. Um, th- this is pretty dense because there's a lot to say about it. And there's also a lot of stuff that we want to make sure not to leave out. Yeah. Um, but what we're going to try to do now is get through the last of the uh, sort of like statistical stuff and like kind of the themes that I wanted to get through. And then our second portion, we'll talk about more anecdotal stuff. We'll talk specifically about wedding dress shopping, uh, which is something super fun that Hope and I have now both done. Uh Um, But I'm sure we can have a fun time with that. I think I can also pull maybe from a Facebook group that I'm a part of with their consent, of course. Um, But yeah. All right. So let's, um, 
I do want to, before ending this, I do want to talk about uh, the stigma that is associated with Okay, I, I, I'm going to start using fat as a descriptor more just to give a warning to anyone who's triggered by that word. Um, I am using it as a descriptor and it is it is directly because of listening to and talking to people who are part of the fat positivity movement. Um, and the reason that I'm calling it fat positivity, not body positivity, is because the body positivity movement tends to focus on the like... Like, oh, yeah, like we support everyone of everybody as long as you're healthy. And then, of course, healthy means not fat. And like and then it just tends to get bad from there. Right. So we're going to bypass the body positivity and go straight to fat positivity and say, like, literally everybody is a body that I support. On the so, other side of that. Moving on. Our queen, <laughs> Jamil Al-Jamil, talks about body neutrality where she's just like, I just don't think about my body. I I don't care. It's just there. There you go. My body. I don't have to think it's pretty. I don't have to do anything to it if I don't want to. It's my body. I don't care. Which I think is also, that goes along with what I say whenever I'm trying to convince myself to be nice to myself. I'm like, if you can't be nice, you need to at least be civil. But don't be mean. You need to (laughs) just civil with yourself. At least be civil to yourself. Don't be like, I need my body. um, Like I have a body. That's civil. (laughs) That's neutral. (laughs) So the reason I, but the the reason I'm saying that I'm priming people for that and that I want to use the word fat instead of, um, of other things is because there's so many other words you can use, but, um, but I want to say I'm just specifically, it is just a descriptor. Um, it is not a judgment. And also I want to use that instead of obesity because I think obesity has become even more triggering somehow than the word fat. At least it is, at least it is for me. I don't know why, but, but anyway, so I apologize if this like hurts anyone, anyone's feelings, but I'm trying really hard to make it clear (laughs) that I'm not. Yes. The word fat here is not an insult. Anyway, so moving on um, the, so the healthcare setting is a place where there's a lot of stigma that is based around weight, uh, which I mean, the healthcare setting has just so much stigma all the time for people. And okay. When, when you get, when you receive any kind of poor treatment that's based on something, especially something like something that's um, intrinsic about you, especially something that is, not considered the norm by society. Um, when you experience that uh, poor treatment in, an, in a healthcare setting, it really makes you not want to go to doctors again. It makes you not want to. Yeah, I, I, like lots of people don't like going to doctors, but but trust me, people who have been mistreated by doctors really, really don't want to go to doctors. Um, I had an issue with this finding a new PCP actually because I my last PCP was. I would say she's discriminatory towards people with mental health uh, issues uh, based on my treatment. Yeah. I'm still figuring out a way to talk to the doctor's office about that. Uh, But it definitely was a thing where like, huh, this person, like her only issue is, and and I'm just going to talk from my perspective and then I'm going to get into, um, uh, get back into like BMI and all that. But um, but it's something that I think is directly relatable uh, to the way that fat people um, feel often going into a doctor's office, the way that I feel when I know my weight is going to be um, 
a thing that we talk about. Um, but in, in this issue, um, sorry, in, in this time period, it was a, a mental health thing. And it was because I wanted to transfer a prescription. Um, and it's a very common prescription. It's, it's uh, a very common, it, it's Zoloft, like it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, I'm on that. So I, I was trying to transfer that over. Um, and basically, this doctor had a policy that she didn't prescribe any kind of mental health medication is what I understood. But she wouldn't talk to me about it. Like, I was just told no, despite anything. Like, it wasn't a conversation. I know. Um, I'm a doctor. I'm I, not going to do mental health prescriptions. You're an idiot. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? I shouldn't laugh at that. I'm sorry. Also, this just sounded so silly. It's okay. It, it is silly. And, and you're laughing. You're laughing on my side. So it's fine. Um, but the, yeah, effectively, uh, so I was treated with a lot of hostility by greenfield internal medicine on state street or epa because um <laughs> anyway but uh I, I won't say the doctor's name because there's no need for that because i'll I, i'm going to write a letter to her addressing like here is what she did wrong and here is what i would suggest because i think that's the best way to go about it um i'm not going to try to get her fired because that's that's i mean that's that's revenge and what i want is for people to grow um but anyway so like <laughs> anyway, without getting into like super huge specifics, basically, I, I was treated really poorly. They didn't offer me any kind of referral anywhere. So it was like, go to the drawing board, try to find a PCP who is going to actually address my needs. And, and it actually, it does go directly against their patient bill of rights. Because like, there's things on there that say like, like, if you aren't given treatment, like you will be given the reason why you have a right to ask like all of this stuff like and it yeah so so my, my treatment there directly violated all of that and it was it was really simply because i was mentally ill and i needed help for that um which is i'm not crying by the way my voice is just doing something weird um <laughs> but but anyway so so when, when you experience something like that i can say from personal experience like that's really difficult and it doesn't make you ever want to go to a, another doctor's office ever again. It doesn't make you want to call a doctor's office ever again. Um, especially if it's something that you, where you know that particular thing is going to be brought up. Um, and someone who is fat, particularly someone who is, um, who is categorized in the morbidly obese or the super morbidly obese, um, that person is going to get a lot more mistreatment on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, literally every doctor's appointment, it's going to be talked about. Um, and like, and you and I know, I'm sure, like, I don't know if you've had the experience of going to an urgent care and they give you like the packet afterwards, because it's what she was talking about in there. But it's like, literally, you can go into an appointment about, I think I, I went in for a UTI, um, which had nothing to do with weight or anything like that because it doesn't it's just there's there's something in your urethra that shouldn't be there <laughs> yeah there, there's a way that you get a uti that's, um <laughs> i wouldn't say worth it but you know anyway um so <laughs> we're not gonna say that just we're not gonna tell you to lose weight just anyway tighten <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, uh, that's another knocked up quote that was thrown in there. Um, anyway, so 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 what I would say, so I went in for a UTI that was definitely not caused by my weight. And for some reason, I had to get this page at the end of the packet telling me you're overweight, you need to lose weight. Like, it, why? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but okay, so so coming back to this, uh, this uh, paper here. 
Uh, it says uh, a sample of 2,284 physicians showed strong, explicit, and implicit anti-fat bias. Um, high levels of bias are observed even among clinicians specializing in obesity-related issues, with their proportion endorsing explicit anti-fat bias sentiments increasing in recent years. And the example they use is, and this is in quotes, and I'm sorry for all this if you fit in this category, um, in quotes, fat people are wor worthless. Like that's a thing that a doctor said in this study. So, yeah. So the nature of healthcare provider bias encompasses endorsement of negative stereotypes of patients with obesity, including terms like lazy, weak-willed, and bad, feeling less respect for those patients and being more likely to report them as a, quote, waste of time, unquote. How do you go to a million years of medical school and come out thinking, like, having gaps in your knowledge and just... My window's open. I may just it, stop shouting. It's probably, it's it's my personal experience means more than this science in front of me. Also, and there's science. Well, okay. There are things that are being represented as science that aren't like the BMI. <laughs> so like, bullshit these, so unfortunately, some doctors are not getting, yeah. So some doctors are getting wrong education as well. So, um, so yeah, um, in terms of quality of care, Sorry, this is another quote. I'm trying to move through stuff. But in terms of quality of care and medical decision making, despite the fact that higher weight patients are at elevated risk for endometrial and ovarian cancer, some physicians report a reluctance to perform pelvic exams, which is just like you're, you're just being a dick there. Yeah. Like you chose a job that makes you have to perform pelvic exams. Like what do, do you just is it just that you just want to look into the bodies of women you find attractive like mm -hmm. like according to the way you were raised because what what is it otherwise there's so I don't... many sources and i have none of them right now or like accounts of people being like i wasn't treated for what i went in for because all they wanted to talk about was my weight and i suffered or like had long-lasting consequences because i wasn't treated by anybody Ugh. yeah so there's that. Um, then it says, uh, in terms of quality of communication, higher weight patients are clearly receiving the message that they are unwelcome or devalued in a clinical setting, frequently reporting feeling ignored or mistreated, mistreated in clinical settings, and higher BMI adults are nearly three times as likely as persons with, quote, normal, unquote, BMI, to say that they have been denied appropriate medical care. Um, as a result, patients with a higher BMI report avoiding seeking medical care because of the discomfort of being stigmatized. Even when they do seek medical care, weight loss attempts are less successful when patients perceive their primary care providers judge them on the basis of their weight. So effectively what it is, is like if your doctor is like, okay, let's cut the shit, you got to lose some weight. And it's like a tough love kind of thing. That actually is way less likely to help you lose weight. Than someone who's like, let's look at your nutrition. What are you eating? And just making sure you're eating a balanced diet. Because if someone looks at it that way, and then you actually try to eat a balanced diet without it being focused on weight, it's going to be a lot more successful. This isn't, and, and that's anecdotal, but I'm sure there's statistics. And then there's the intersection of women not being listened to by doctors as it is. So whenever you're mm -hmm. an overweight woman, if you're an overweight woman of color, forget it. Like statistically, it's not happening for you. <laughs> that actually okay so i i don't i don't know if she's a woman of color i'm gonna look it up real quickly so i can find out um when you were talking about the she's not 
feeling like the doctor wasn't taking you seriously about something intrinsically. That's exactly what it felt like whenever I was <laughs> telling the idiot, the psychiatrist guy who was like, you don't have ADHD. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you do realize that like women are listened to by doctors and <laughs> that women are underdiagnosed with ADHD, even though this thing says hope has significant ADHD symptoms. He's like, yeah, I'm aware of all mm-hmm. that. I'm like, you're a fucker. Like, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. So, so, so another story about a woman not being listened to by a doctor and about a, uh, a fat person not being listened to by a doctor is uh, Rebecca Hiles. Uh, multiple of his physicians uh, failed to diagnose her lung cancer. Um, yes. Lung cancer. Um, they just told her to lose weight because it would address her shortness of breath. Like literally they did not do tests she needed. And she had, I read another article going more into her situation and it was like, she suddenly was having a lot of problems breathing, you know, suddenly it wasn't a thing Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I always like huff and puff. Like, Oh, I'm having a really hard time going to the doctor because something is wrong. Something is different. And they were like, no, you're just fat. There was, and she had lung cancer. There was a video about a lady at a panel who was a medical professional. And she said this black woman came in and she's like, I'm having chest pains. Like something is happening. And they mm-hmm. weren't going to like hook her up to anything. She's like, I'm going to put you on an EKG, see what's going on. And she would cough. And every time she would have like a coughing fit, she was having a heart attack. And the doctor, the white male doctor there was like, well, like, how was I supposed to know that? And then, like, she said all this stuff about, like, black women not being treated. And she's like, do you want to be part of that statistic yeah. or not? And he was like, okay. So that lady got treated because the other lady, I'm not saying that, like, it's the the white lady savior. You but, shouldn't like, have to have a sponsor. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is, like, you shouldn't have to have a sponsor. You should be listened to. Like, and that's how we've developed the white savior trope is because white people aren't willing to take the um the actual life experience that's coming from the words <laughs> like coming out of people of color um coming out of their mouths like we aren't willing to take the word of people of color over the word of a white person and so a white person then has to go to a bat go to bat for the person of color and then you end up with this whole white savior thing and that's the only way that we're allowing people to be it's okay. And that's a whole other fucking thing. We could do a whole show on white saviorism. Um, Oh, also Seth Meyers did a great like bit on his show with um, um, he and Amber Rufin did a sketch uh, that's called white savior. It's, it's great. Anyway, um, it's all, it's all about her being like, can you let me talk? Yeah. (laughs) He also has a segment called jokes. Seth can't tell, (laughs) which is really funny (laughs) and how you do it. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you ally, pretty much, um, is just face it head on. Yeah, so, okay. Um, yeah, so anyway, so that was, that's Rebecca Hiles. She, she, she did, she, she did get the treatment she needed, which is, is the, the good end cap to that story. Um, that's how we know she had lung cancer. Um, so, so there's also apparently a, a reluctantness to operate on people who are above a certain weight, but it's not the same weight everywhere. It's pretty arbitrary. There's a lot of doctors who will choose an arbitrary BMI and then they won't like operate on anyone over that. Like they literally will tell patients you have to lose weight before you can have surgery. And the reason is because they just don't want to take the risk. Um, And if there's, okay, I can hear someone Wanting to make the argument there, well, 
I mean, if there's less risk, if they lose weight, then they should just lose weight and then get the surgery. Well, okay, the reason they might have more stuff going on is because they're not getting good treatment in the hospital. So if you have a person who is not getting good treatment in the hospital or not getting adequate um, time with the doctor, because that's also another thing, doctors don't spend as much time with people who are above like certain weights. Um, and like I said, it's not a scale, it's just, you know, generally people who are overweight don't get as much time with their doctor or as much as they would need. Um, they're not getting appropriate medical care um, as a major trend that is measurable. Um, and this is stuff that's been self-reported by doctors, like, you know, in ways they could do it anonymously. So we know doctors are thinking these things. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so so giving, not giving adequate medical care to a person gives them more complications then and then because they have more complications you don't want to operate um and i will remind everyone there is correlation between the weight of the person and other things that are going on in the body and other things that um <clears throat> they might be more susceptible to but correlation does not necessarily equal causation and we have been assuming for so long that all of this is about fat um, and also about fat in food as opposed to sugar in food and all of that. Like we've been made, we've been making so many assumptions that we've kind of tricked ourselves into a system where we're confirming our own biases based on nothing. Right. Um, so anyway, so you're less likely to get operated on if you're, um, if you're uh, what, um, is considered overweight. Um, let me see here. <sighs> Yeah, there's no consistency in the figures they pick. So like one person might say like, you know, if you're over 41 BMI, I won't operate on you. Someone else might say 39. Like it doesn't mean anything. Um, and also it could be something like a knee replacement, which is not necessarily a life-threatening thing, but it could be life-affirming if you then have a knee that works after you go through your rehab. And hey, maybe then the person could lose the weight that you're telling them to lose, right. but they're not able to do it because they can't fucking exercise because it's not all about, like not all people can just like, eat less and their body does the same thing. You know, like some people can be on very strict diets and still not lose weight. So this, this is, these are things to think about. Okay, so- um, also, so BMI is generally not accurate when it's uh, applied to black populations very often, um, particularly black women. Uh, it usually, what does it say? All right. Um, this is from a paper from the Endocrine Society. Uh, it says the body mass index BMI and waistline measurement overestimate obesity in African-Americans, according to a new study, because they have different body composition. Um, so it would say, you know, like an African-American person who has the same height and weight as me might have more muscle to fat, whereas I would have more fat to muscle. Um, but that's, it's a general just difference that is not taken into consideration. Um, and then there's uh, a different way that it fucks up health in the Asian American, or sorry, not Asian American, the Asian community in general, is that um, it actually will say, oh, your BMI is fine. And so then they won't be um, checked for other things that could go wrong in their health, because they're not considered at risk, because their BMI doesn't put them at risk. Um, it's the whole thing about like, you can have high cholesterol and still be like a tiny person who looks super physically fit, right. you know, mm -hmm. but they're not always related. That's why correlation causation, it doesn't mean that anyone who's not in this specific BMI set doesn't also have some way to be at risk for heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, all that stuff. Right.
We all so knew um, <laughs> the girls in high school who did not work out and ate whatever they wanted, and they were really skinny. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know you're not healthy. I I know that your body is made up of junk food. Like, just because you're skinny yeah. doesn't mean you're healthy. It's the um uh, the champagne and cigarettes diet that supermodels uh you know th- like we we joke about supermodels being on that diet back in the nineties or whatever like but it was literally like they were just surviving on champagne and cigarettes because cigarettes help you stay thin so they're also using something to help you stay thin that can give you lung cancer so super great uh there's one more thing I want to throw in there uh just to make us all all more hot mad before I give some recommendations about things to read and stuff. Uh, the last fact that I want to put in there is doctors frequently mandate a lower BMI from trans patients before providing their gender affirming surgeries. So if you're a trans person, extra go fuck yourself for no reason. Fuck. That's it. Why? That's, I mean, and and I'm, and I'm sure there's trans people out there who's, who are like, yeah, that's the medical community. Like, yeah. So yeah, I'm like I'm very sweaty. I got, I got I'm like, not happy. <laughs> I'm so mad. Yeah. So so all all of this to me, and this is a little conclusion that I wrote in here is like this is the reason we need a fat positivity movement, um, because we need a movement where no one can misconstrue what we mean. Like all body types are valid body types. Like you can't base a system of measuring everyone's body on a small subset of the population also and when you think about it white men like particularly like just the white men from france and scotland that were studied are a tiny pop are a tiny tiny subset of the overall global population it makes no sense whatsoever that we have used this and we're just building we're building what we think is good science and what we're maybe attempting even to create good science off of the backs of bad science so it's time to reevaluate i have two things to end on one we don't know about men's body issues as we are not in men's bodies that's a whole other thing that we could probably bring on some of our Mm -hmm. male friends to talk about because it's something that's not talked about at all it's not talked about and then oh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't want to think about other people's bodies in the amount that I do. I don't want to think about my body in the amount that I do. I don't want it to be a thing that takes up so much energy in this society. Leave people alone. Let people live. Like, just don't worry. But why the fuck do you care what someone else is doing with their body? Like, if yeah. like if you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, she really let herself go. You shouldn't be thinking anything. Just let her be. Let them be. It's fine. That's their bodies, not yours. That's their yeah. house. You don't get to Start tell people how to clean their house. Think about what the person is thinking and say, or like what they're saying and what they're expressing out to the world, not what, not just what they look like. There's so much more to a person than that. Why, why do we need to assess people like this? It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, okay. So I do have some recommendations for um, like further reading if people want to, a lot of it's like funny and sort of, um, yeah, it's it's funny and accessible and friendly stuff. It's not, you know, dry studies and all that. It's it's stuff that's going to be 
probably more inspiring for people, hopefully. Um, there's a couple podcasts that are really good to listen to. Um, so I've been quoting Aubrey Gordon a lot this whole time because she's fantastic. Um, her podcast with um, with Michael Hobbs from, oh, he was from HuffPost and he just lost his job. I feel really bad. So shout out to Michael Hobbs. Um, yeah, who's now suffering from the fact that BuzzFeed bought HuffPo. Um, anyway, but, uh, but he's her co-host. Yeah. They lead off a bunch of people. Like it, it just happened. I have to look into that. Yeah. It's not good stuff. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, so yeah, Michael Hobbs has, um, these two podcasts, um, you're wrong about, um, which is also a really good one, which is how I found out about maintenance phase, um, which is the one he does with Aubrey Gordon. And, um, they talk about, diet trends they have like a whole episode about dr oz and his whole rise (laughs) he's he's a trash bag um yeah there's a lot of things so there's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to weight and they do so in a way that's like it's funny and accessible and it's it's probably less hard to listen to than all this stuff might have been i don't know um yeah so there's that um there's also um and this person's going to come up in a couple different places here in my recommendations. Um, Sophie Hagen, um, the the non-binary um, Danish comedian who I quoted earlier, the one who said, I want to sweat as much as I cry at the gym. <laughs> um, so um, they have a bunch of stuff out there. Um, they have several podcasts. The one I've been listening to a lot is Made of Human. It's been going on for several years. Um, I first knew about Sophie when they were a going by female pronouns and, and co-hosting um, the guilty feminist with Deborah Francis white, which is also a really good podcast. Um, But uh, made of human is, I would say it's uh, actually kind of similar to Dax's podcast armchair expert, because it's an interview thing and they tend to talk a lot about like the things that matter to that person. Mm -hmm. But uh, because of the guests, the type of guests that come on, there tend to be a lot about intersectional feminism. There tends to be a lot about um, body image and fat positivity and stuff like that. So made of human, otherwise known as the Mopod, go give that a listen. Um, Then I have books and surprise, surprise. The first book is by Sophie Hagen. It's called happy fat taking up space in a world that wants to shrink you. Um, And it's, it is really good. They talk about like their experience growing up and also about just diet trends in general and that kind of thing and trauma and stigma. So that's really good. Uh, Then I would also say um, shrill by Lindy West is another good one. Uh, There is a show based on it that has two seasons now. Um, So the show is also really good. The show is starring Aidy Bryant Mm -hmm. uh, and it's on Hulu. Uh, But the book is also very good as well. Uh, I would also then say, um, so Jess Baker is another writer who does stuff about fatness in general. She has this book called Land Whale that's really good. Uh, So I would say that one's a good thing to put on your reading list. Um, The little subtitle says, On Turning Insults into Nicknames, Why Body Image is Hard, and How Diets Can Kiss My Ass. And the picture on the front is her uh, on a beach wearing a swimsuit looking super happy. So uh, a lot of other good fat positivity stuff that I, I almost picked up the next one as a recommendation. <laughs> it is a good book. That's one of my favorite books in the heart of the sea by Nathaniel Philbrick is a, it's a masterpiece. It's so good. I, 
The reason I the reason I have this one in the stack though is to remind myself to read it because I want to do a Captain Pedantic video about yeah. the movie in the Heart of the Sea and I want to read the book first. Mm. Um, I have that here, and then I also this isn't related to this episode, but since I have it here, have you read Leah Remini's book? Do you want to? Yes, I do. Can I okay. pick that up when I come up in April. Yeah, yeah, because because I've I've read it and it's and like it's one of the things like it's a great read, but I don't think I'm probably going to read it again, so I'm going to pass it on. I fucking love. So her. yeah. I'm going to recommend... I can't get through a single fucking podcast without talking about Scientology. (laughs) I'm going to recommend I Weigh, Jamil Al-Jamil, anything that she has created, done, said, tweeted, Instagrammed, the like. She's a queen. Um, Jasmine Robbins, who is from BuzzFeed, and I think she works with As Is Now, and is kind of freelancing, but she's a fat positivity uh, plus size person and then also model ashley graham who has her own podcast and a bunch of platforms and uh very happy fat content which makes me feel a lot better about myself even though i'm not necessarily um i'm on the low side of the plus size right now which we can get into with our body image follow-up debrief podcast that is going to be part two of this (laughs) yeah yeah we could do that so um so, so I do have a couple more recommendations. Um, Yoga for Everybody is good. That's by Jessamine Stanley. Um, she is, uh, she's a, a fat black woman who is also a yogi. She does. She's a yoga teacher. Um, she does. Um, she does like hot yoga too, which is really cool because like I, I always was like hot yoga must be for thin people who don't sweat that much. And I was like, well, I guess it's not. Maybe I got to try it. But, uh, but she, I have her book and she has all of these like great pictures of her. And it's just really nice going through looking at the pictures and being like, yes. Okay. A body that looks more like that mind can do this. So, okay, cool. I can do it too. I mean, like it should yeah. look that much like me, of course, cause I'm a white woman. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's cool. Um, I am going to read Aubrey Gordon's book, but what it's called is what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. I anticipate liking it, so I'll let you know if it's otherwise. Uh, <laughs> then um, there's a video that I I was gonna maybe play a clip, but I'm not going to because it's this has gotten long already. <laughs> but um, it's by uh, there's a YouTube creator called uh, Eternal Goddess. I don't know her actual name, um, but she's uh, she's a YouTube creator who sort of focus on, focuses on historical fashion which I've been watching a lot about recently. Um, but she has a video called we need to stop saying Marilyn Monroe was plus size. Um, and it's all about how sizing is different than it used to be when Marilyn Monroe was alive and how like at her, at her biggest, she had a 28 inch waist. Like that's like, she was not, she was not plus sized. Anyway. So go ahead, go ahead and watch, watch that because it's very interesting. And she talks a lot about like the fashion industry. Uh, and then also the last thing I'm going to, plug here is sophiehagen.com because this whole art this this whole episode was apparently a love letter to Aubrey Gordon <laughs> and Sophie Hagen. Um but the reason I really want to direct you towards um this website is there are there are not only uh comedy shows, there's two stand-up shows um um which are both really good, but there's also five online comedy talk shows um which are it's they're they're like in parentheses, it says talkity. Uh, but basically, I, I've done the, the I, I was there for the first three because they were Zoom 
or maybe not Zoom, but they, they were broadcast live. Um, the fourth one actually happened the day before my wedding. So uh, I decided to sit that one out because we were doing a lot of shit. <laughs> we were uh, a little busy. <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> we're a little busy. But they're, they cost, um, so she's she's in England. Um, so they're all in British pounds, but they cost five pounds each, which is about it's a little over $7, I believe. Maybe like seven forty. But uh, her subjects are just to read this out uh how to be happy fat and so that was kind of like to introduce her book and talks about stuff like that um there's one called fat gender dating sex um which is all about all of those things um and then there was another one um but what about health uh i went to that one too that one was really really good um because it's about health and fatness and how they are related or not related um uh, then there's another one and so these last two i actually haven't seen yet so i'm probably gonna buy them and watch them soon um there's one that's let's talk about therapy um talks about all of the therapists um and their life write and, this book? <laughs> um, and then the oh, these are just the talks you can go watch them they're all about an hour some of them are longer like 90 minutes or so but they're all really funny too um and then there's another one just about shame and that one has, it's all about shame. And it says, afterwards, we feel lighter with funny, shocking and confessional stories from viewers and celebrities like Jamila Jamil. So <laughs> there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff there. But anyway, that's, it's a really good resource. And also there's a Facebook page um, that Sophie made up called Sophie Hagen's Fat Club. And uh, it's a really good place. It's where it's actually where I went a lot when I was buying my wedding dress because, and we'll talk more about this in the other podcast, but it's just a great community for people who are challenged by the way that society looks at like size and what size you're supposed to be. And we'll talk more about the community next time because I feel like it'll go in really well with part two. Anyway, but those are those are good resources. Those will all be posted on the website as well. And I know this is kind of a long one, but it's worth it because with all of this information coming out about how, you know, people with a BMI over a certain amount can be bumped up in the COVID line. I've been hearing a lot about BMI and it's been frustrating to me because like I know it's bullshit, but I think a lot of people just right. don't. So now you know. And great. Um if you do have a BMI that puts you in the category to be able to get a vaccine, I'm not saying that you shouldn't just because that science is bad. Because, go like, get the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, go get the vaccine. And also, like, if you have a BMI that puts you in the obese category, you've probably, in some way or another, whether you know it or not, experienced some kind of like not great medical care because of that. So just look at it as you getting paid back for a little bit of it, I guess. <laughs> um, everyone, everyone should be vaccinated. So get the vaccine if you can get the vaccine. Don't let any issues and feeling like, oh, I should let someone, like it's, we're trying to get everyone vaccinated. You're, you're so helping people go and do that by getting vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and before we go, I do want to say, uh, if you want to contact us, um, our email is VKOP sorry, vkoepod at gmail.com. Our, uh, our Twitter handle is at vague underscore of. Our Instagram is vkoe underscore pod. And uh, we have a Patreon. Our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash a vague knowledge of everything. So uh, you can go find us if you would like to help support us in a way that's uh, more than just listening to the podcast, which is of course good support on its own. But if you want to 
give us a little bit more. There might be some merchandise in it for you or some special bonus content. So yeah, feel free to check that out. Even if you go check out the site, you don't have to commit to donating. So just go take a look. Just go see. Take a look, see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. The, the lowest uh, amount to donate per month is $3. $3. Stay tuned for the body image part two. <laughs> Stay tuned for body image part two. I am Rosie and facts matter. I'm hoping now that you know better, be better. <laughs> <laughs>